I'd like to tell you three stories today. Um, I love story time. I love story time with my kids. Um, I, uh, if there is a part of childhood that I miss, it's getting to curl up and read a good book with my kids. And I'd like you, as, we, uh, as I tell you and invite you into these three stories, I would invite you to get to your cozy spot, whatever that is, right? Uh, the blind side, which is on, you know, daily during football season, was on last night. And in the first part of that, that movie, if you, if, I'm just going to assume you've seen the movie because I can't, can't recount the whole thing, but they're going out to dinner and, um, and the mama needs to run over to Barnes and Noble and pick up a design book. And she takes her two kids and Big Mike, who is now Michael, with her um, into Barnes and Noble. And she goes and gets her book. And then she's frantically looking all over Barnes and Noble. Where are you? Or she finally finds them in the children's book aisle and they are planted on the floor, her son and her daughter and they are reading their favorite children's book that she read to them as children. And um, since mine are in college in 14 and almost 10, they don't want to curl up and read Mama, Do You Love Me anymore or The Monsters Under My Bed anymore. They don't want to read those kind of stories with their mom anymore. And, and I really just almost cried, like, oh, bring me back those stories. So as we open up the word today from three different time periods, I just want to invite you to go to that still, quiet, cozy place and listen to some stories, right? The first one is found in Exodus chapter 35, and I'm going to read to you this story, and then we'll talk about it. We're going to begin in verse 30, Exodus 35, verse 30. Then Moses said to the people of Israel, See, the Lord has called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, And he has filled him with the spirit of God, with skill, with intelligence, with knowledge, and with all craftsmanship. And I'd like you to replace the word craftsmanship with creativity, with all creativity. As a side note, last night I had to make my auction basket. I do not have creativity within me. And I I knew what I was going to preach. And I just said, Lord Jesus, would you please give me the same creativity that you gave to those men, right? So... Um, You can judge whether or not he did that when you come to that silent auction. Just one more little plug. Okay, so verse 32, to devise artistic designs to work in gold and silver and bronze in cutting stones for setting and in carving wood for work in every skilled craft. And he has inspired him to teach both him and Oholiab, the son of some really weird name of the tribe of Dan. He has filled them with skill to do every sort of work done by an engraver or by a designer or by an embroiderer in blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen or by a weaver, by any sort of workman or skilled designer. Chapter 36, Bezalel and Oholiab and every craftsman in whom the Lord has put skill and intelligence to know how to do any work in the construction of the sanctuary shall work in accordance with all that the Lord has commanded. Here's what's happening. The Israelites have been freed from Egypt. 
They have crossed the Red Sea and they are now roaming around. They actually don't know that they are going to be lost in the desert for 40 years quite yet. Um, and so they're just kind of traveling around this big, gigantic tribe of people. They're actually, they have actually traveled south in the Sinai Peninsula, not all the way to the southern tip, but they're getting pretty close. And the Bible says that they have made their encampment in the wilderness of Sinai, Mount Sinai, 7,000 foot um, mountain, at least today, probably that means it was a little higher back then, right? With rain pounded on or something, I don't know. So, but the Bible also says that Moses went regularly up to this mountain to meet with God. Now, I got to tell you, I kind of always thought that he just went up once to get the Ten Commandments. He came down and they broke, and so he went up again. So, you know, two trips up to the very top of the mountain. But as I was reading through Exodus in this particular part, he would go up it's like, like a lot. So I think the top of that mountain was his cozy spot with the Lord, right? And on this particular occasion, he goes up. He receives the Ten Commandments, he receives a whole bunch of instructions, and he comes down from the mountain, and his face is glowing, glowing so much with the glory and the presence and the goodness of the Lord that he has to put a veil in front of his face to speak to the people. And Exodus says that he has called all the people of Israel for one big, gigantic storytelling time. I want to tell you, Israel, what the Lord has spoken to me. Now, I love that scene because I think there were thousands of people, maybe millions gathered together, and I don't know how they got it out because they didn't have PA systems. But, but there were moms and dads, and there were babies, and there were teenagers, and there was everybody there, and it was not quiet. I mean, there was busyness in that storytelling time, right? And he, he gives them not only the Ten Commandments, but he says... Listen, he also gave me very specific instructions on how to build a tabernacle that we're going to take with us whenever we travel. Now, I don't know what traveling for your family is like, but the biggest thing we do every year is go on that family mission trip in December. And every year, my husband gripes at how much we're going to take. We're just going for five days and we're not camping outside anymore. Why do we need? Well, just in case, just in case. I mean, I know what the weather says, but what if the weather changed, right? So they are going to build this massive tabernacle that they are going to take with them everywhere they go. Every time the Lord says, get up and move, they're going to take this tabernacle, they're going to fold it all up, and they're going to move it. Monumental task. Not only is it going to be movable, but it's also going to contain the Ark of the Covenant that the Lord has told them, the very presence of the Lord, and you're going to build it inside this Holy of Holies that only one person's going to get to go in. I mean, this is a big, gigantic thing. Big, gigantic work. And when Israel gathers the people together, I think that he said, and I'm going to paraphrase it just a little bit for you, I think that as he's gathered together and he's telling them that part, He says, Israel, do not fear or fret about how we're going to get this tabernacle for our Lord up and running because the Lord has already called someone to do it. He's already called Bezalel and the scripture says the Lord has already filled him with the spirit of God 
And the scripture says, the Lord has already gifted him with skill, with intelligence, with knowledge, and with all creativity to get this job done. And oh, by the way, he's not going to do that by himself. God has already called him a partner, Oholiab, to do that. And he has inspired him both. I'm not interpreting that part. That's right there in scripture, all of that. And he has filled them with the skill to do every good work. And these workers, chapter 36, verse 1, and these workers with every other craftsman in whom the Lord has skilled and equipped will build the sanctuary of the Lord. They were called, they were empowered, and they were equipped. And you say, well, Bev, it's really easy to get up and go to work when you are doing something that's going to change the world. I mean, when you are doing something that has global impact, at least for that particular part of the globe, you can be excited about getting up and going to work. But I want you to turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 17, and I want, you to, tell, I want to tell you the story of a single mom whose job was very mundane and very ordinary, and it was the same day after day after day. It is several hundred years later after Moses And the prophet Elijah is now wandering through Israel. They wandered a lot. He is kind of an itinerant preacher, so he is completely dependent upon the goodness of others to feed him and clothe him and provide shelter for him. And the Lord says to him, Elijah, I want you to go to Zarephath, and I want you to dwell there. I want you to find your home there, and I have commanded a single woman to feed you. Elijah makes his way to this town and he finds a single mom with one son struggling to make ends meet. No welfare, no minimum wage, and no family to support her. Elijah finds them at the very end of their resources. And he asks this struggling mom for some water and some bread. And this faithful woman replies, As the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked. Only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And just now, I am gathering some sticks that I may go in and prepare my very last loaf of bread so that my son and I can eat it and die. Elijah has asked this woman to give God the very last bit of her resources to do something she does every day, provide nourishment for her family. How many of you get tired of making breakfast every morning? (laughs) How about those lunches? Mine are old enough to make their own lunches. I'm so thankful. Every day. She, she, she gathers up the last bit, she lights a fire, and she bakes one last loaf of life-giving bread for her son and herself and Elijah. An ordinary, mundane, even boring task. One more loaf of bread. One last loaf of bread. She offers her work in faith because this is the work that God has given her to do. The Lord called this single mom. The Lord inspired this single mom with faith to do the work at hand. And the Lord equipped her with more than enough of life-giving bread. 
And in verse 15, it says, The Lord provided all this single mom needed, and she and her household ate for many days. So we have workers that are called to do something that's going to change the world. And we have a worker who is called to do just something really boring, really mundane, the same thing day after day after day. Let's look at some more workers. Matthew chapter 14. Jesus has called his disciples out of being fishermen, and he is traveling the countryside with them once again. I don't know that he was wandering. I think he was a little bit more purposeful in where he went. They're traveling that promised land that Moses was in search of, that Elijah was yelling and screaming at, right? They're traveling that land, and they are doing amazing work. Jesus is preaching. The disciples are preaching. There is healing. There is miracles. There is all kinds of amazing things that are going on. And they get to a point and Jesus says, it has been a really busy, good season of work for the disciples, right? They're not griping about their work. It's been a good season of hard work. You know when that is, right? When you have given your life to a project or life to something, something at work, and man, you feel really good about it, but you have given it 60, 70 hours a week and you are wiped out, right? Good work, but you're done right? And Jesus says, you know what, guys? We, we need to go for a little rest. Let, let's get in the boat. Let's cross the lake. Let, let's go for some private alone time. Just you and me. Just like the way we started out. It's been busy. It's been hard. It's been good. But let's go cross the lake for a little retreat. They get in the boat, and in Matthew chapter 14, Actually, all four Gospels say it. Um, some, some people recognize who Jesus is. And so they start to follow along the side of the lake. And I love the image of that. I love the image of this crowd of people following. I wonder if he's going to stop there. No, we got to keep going. We got to keep going. We got to keep going, right? All the way over to the other side of the lake. I don't know how big the crowd was. I would love that that was running along the side of the lake. We know that eventually it got to 5,000 men and women and children. They get to the other side of the lake, and I also love the, the idea I have is they get to the side of the lake, and those disciples going, you have got to be kidding me. We just wanted Jesus to ourselves, and we are tired. We, we don't want to talk to them. A couple of years ago, Dave and I went on our second cruise. We have determined we will never cruise again. We cruised on our honeymoon, and we thought, well... You know, I mean, it was the Bahamas. We were 22, you know, whatever. So let's try it again. And um, wow, I mean, it's just this small, confined place with 5,000 people on it. And I mean, we we just don't like it very much. But we got on we got on the cruise ship. David is wearing his um, a Point Loma shirt, and within 45 minutes, in uh, there probably weren't 5,000. It was probably 2,000. Three people have stopped us to have a conversation about their connection with Point Loma. I said, you need to get back to that cabin and change that shirt right now. (laughs) We are not talking to anybody else on the ship, right? Because I wanted to be on the lake away by myself. So they're, they're, Jesus is preaching to that crowd of 5,000, and it begins late in the day, and it's time for them to go home. The disciples say, Jesus, they're, they're getting, we, we got to send these people home to get something to eat. Jesus says, no, 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 no. I want you to feed them. Are you kidding me? Jesus, 
We, we are tired. We were not called to feed people. And we don't have enough. She says, oh, yes. Oh, yes, you do. This story never gets old for me. He walks over to the five loaves and the two fish, and he takes, he takes that bread, and he offers it up to the God, and he, he, he blesses it. And those five loaves and two fish become enough to feed more than 5,000 people. My son, when I was talking about this this weekend, said, Mom, you've got to bring some fish in there, too. I said, Matthew, that'd be really gross. Yeah, but it would make the story come alive. (laughs) We read a lot of stories when they were little. The disciples were first called to follow after Jesus. They were then equipped to do the work before them. They were empowered. They were called. They were empowered. They were equipped. There is a difference between our calling because we all have the same calling. I'm not in school anymore. I don't work in the same work environment that you guys work in. But our calling is the same. Follow after Jesus. That's our calling. But our work is very different. Each of you have a different work before you. For some of you, it's breakfast every morning. For some of you, it's a paper every night. Or 20 more math problems. Or 50, depending on how mean your teacher is. Each of us are called to follow after Jesus. But our work, whether it is life-changing, like world-changing work, or mundane, ordinary work, or work that we are too tired to do, we are called, we are empowered, and we are equipped. When I was a youth pastor in Houston, um, we were there for a while, so we got to kind of watch a generation of, of students grow up. And, and we started, it, it happened a lot in the 90s, but, um, so it wasn't just unique to our youth group, but we, we watched them at the age of about 16 or 17, these kids that had followed hard after God, begin to walk away from their faith. I hope if you're 16 or 17, you're listening really closely. Please don't walk away from your faith. But we watched these kids that, that we had poured lots of life into and they, they were in love with Jesus. We just watched this flip, this, this switch flip in them when they just went, I'm done. I'm done with God. I'm done with the Lord. And I'm walking away. And they would walk into some very dangerous, life-changing behaviors. Most of all, they had rejected the Lord that they had loved so much. And it drove me nuts as a youth pastor. I mean, this was my work. 
And I couldn't, my, my work was to make sure their heart, I know it's not my job, but that was my work to make sure that they, were, they stayed connected to the Lord Jesus Christ and wanted nothing more than for them to live all the way through their young adult years knowing that he was in love with them and that they fully gave their heart and life to him. And I couldn't get it to happen. So my pastor walks in one day and he says, I have a new plan for all of us. You love it when your boss does that? I have a new plan. I want all of us to go on a 24-hour prayer retreat all by ourselves. And the only thing you're allowed to take is a journal and a Bible. Well, in my late 20s, I was a really hyped-up soul, and I did not sit for 24 hours. I did not sit quietly for 24 hours. I did not sit without talking to anybody for 24 hours. And I certainly didn't just sit there with a Bible and a journal for 24 hours. We did not have cell phones, so I couldn't cheat, right? I couldn't say I'm looking at my phone, but I'm really playing a game, right? So, but this is what your boss told, and you do it, and, and this little monastery cooking at this place. I mean, even when you go into dinner, nobody's talking. In my first three hours there, I read the entire five books of the Old Testament, and Really, some of it is not all that inspiring. So I read the first five books. I prayed through the name of every person on the planet I could think of twice. And then I made a collect call to my husband. What am I going to do for 21 more hours? I mean, I'm going to sleep for six or seven, but what am I going to do? There was not a pool. I mean, there was nothing to do. I did cheat. I did bring the little book in his steps. So, so then I proceeded to read those first five books again, and I read that book again, and I journaled, and I prayed, and that's all I did over and over and over again. And finally, towards the end of that day in the afternoon, what has never happened to me before, and I don't know if it'll ever happen to me again, I was sitting there with my notebook, and I know that the Lord said, Beverly, here is the work I want you to do with those students going into their junior year of high school. It was one of the most inspiring moments of my life. I was called to seek after the Lord. And then he said, this is what I want that work to look like. I had never been backpacking in my life, but I knew that I needed to take them on a backpacking trip to Colorado. Never been backpacking. Never been to the state of Colorado. Do you know that a a week later, I was sitting across the table from a Campus Crusade friend, and I was telling Bruce about this, and Bruce said, Beverly, I got your guy. I go with him all the time to Colorado. He runs these kind of trips. He's a Christian. It's called Voice of Wilderness. I'll hook you up. It was a $10,000 project because I didn't want anybody to pay for it. I didn't want that to be an excuse. No fundraisers. You just come. If you're going to, if you have finished your sophomore year of high school, I just want you to be on that trip. $10,000. I had all the parents loving it. I had the board loving it. I knew that Jesus, that's what, that was the program that he had given me. That was the work he had given me. Where am I going to come up with $10,000? Three years in a row, the last 500 came as we were pulling out of that church parking lot Saturday at five o'clock in the morning. Now that was provision, my friends. Right? My calling was not to run rough terrain ahead. That was my work. My calling was to seek after the Lord. Do you see that? My calling was to seek after the Lord. My work was rough terrain ahead. 
and he empowered and he equipped and he provided more than I could have ever imagined. And I don't know what your work life is today. I know a lot of you. I know that for some of you, you just want to survive AP calculus. For others, you just want to get through your first year in middle school. Some of you just want to know if you're in the right major. Or you really don't want to go to that lab tomorrow, but that's your work. Right? Some of us, our work is a pretty boring, mundane task. You just don't want to do it anymore. I've done it enough. Some of us are involved in something that you believe and you know is world-changing. Whatever that work is, listen, you are first called to seek after Jesus. In the same way, those Israelites were first called by God. You will be empowered, inspired, just like the woman who had no flour left, baked one last loaf, faithfulness to her work. You may have no resources left. You are too tired for your work, or you just think maybe you're too good for the work on your plate. Just like the disciples, Jesus will multiply the resources so that you can accomplish the work at hand. We're going to continue worshiping today. I don't want to say we're going to close because we're not closing. We're continuing in worship today. And we are hoping that you will take these moments to respond. To respond to Jesus in your work. And you can do that a couple of different ways. We have some chalkboards up here and you can write on those Jesus, I need you here. You can write one word. You can write an entire prayer. You can write a praise. Just a place for you to mark that time, offer it to the Lord. You can go to our private Facebook group. If you're not already a member, we tried to invite as many as were friends of mine and Heather's. And um, you can ask to join if you're not already on there. But you can use that group to say, this is how I need Jesus to be at work in me. I know my calling. This is our testimony this week, church. I know my calling. This is my work. And this is where I need him in my work this week. Or you can say, let me show you where he met me in my work this week. Let me show you what he's doing in me this week. It's a private group. The world can't see it, just us. Or you can come and you can receive communion. But you receive communion today, understanding and knowing 
as a testimony of faith that 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 body, that bread, and that blood, that juice is Jesus at work in me. I have accepted his calling in my life, and I want to do the work he has put before me. And I will do so with his spirit in me. And I will trust that he will equip me for the task at hand. Now, I want to caution you. Usually when we take communion, we have... I have one last thought for you before you leave today. In each of these stories that we talked about today, God provided more than enough so that the workers could rest. Exodus says, and they received from Moses all the contribution that the people of Israel had brought for doing the work of sanctuary, in the sanctuary, so much so that Moses had to stop the work. And in the story of the single mom, there was so much. There was enough food day after day after day so the woman could rest. And Jesus sent 5,000 men and women home with full bellies so they could rest. Hey, church, today's the Sabbath. You got to go home and rest today. Right? Because you have been called. And you have been empowered. And you are equipped to do the work on your plate. Have a great week in the Lord. Can't wait to see your posts on Facebook. We'll see you next week.